Would you stand with me, friends, as we read the Lord's Word this morning, reading Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, as we continue to work through this excellent book. Again, reading Colossians 3, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices, and have put on the new self, who is being renewed to a true knowledge, according to the image of the one who created him, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all and in all. Amen. Please be seated, friends. Let's pray. Again, Father, we thank you for this day and pray that your blessing will be upon us now. As this congregational meeting looms over us, we pray, Father, that um, while an important thing nothing is more important than that we should be quiet and that we should uh, listen to you. Bless your word, I pray. Bless this servant. and Make me faithful. Bless these, your people. Make them also faithful with what they hear. We pray that you would keep the evil one from stealing away the seed of the gospel and from distraction. I pray for your blessing upon our little children, that they somehow, in their little in their young years, that they would come away knowing that uh, that this is a very important thing to listen to the Lord's word and we pray that you would help them understand likewise I pray for my older brothers and sisters many of whom are even tired at this time we ask that you would help them and so help us all in this great thing uh, called preaching uh, we pray that you would bless it for your glory we ask it now in Jesus name amen some may want to charge me with promoting license after what we've been preaching in Colossians chapter 2. Somehow that the gospel, as is spoken of by the apostle, is just too free. I remember having that feeling myself when I was younger and I was sitting under a pastor and I had come out of this very antinomian background. And so any time the pastor wasn't expressly saying, you must do this, you must do that, you've got to get this, you know, and I always felt safe when I was being given rules that if I do this, this, and this, then I will be much better off. When I'm preaching through Colossians, it sounds as if Paul is saying, I don't care about holiness. You should just uh, rest in Jesus Christ. And you go, oh, that feels so free. Pastor, you say things like this and you don't know what people are capable of doing. You're, you're giving them permission to not have to go do something in order to be saved right don't just do something stand there and this is the way we think and it feels unnerving 
as if somehow the apostle or that I'm somehow giving license to people now go out and indulge your flesh. I remember the first time that I thought I actually presented the gospel faithfully. I was presenting it to a man and he goes, so what you're saying is it doesn't matter what I do. And I said, of course it matters. I said, but not unto salvation. Right? And, and the fact that I preached the gospel to a guy and he said those very things made me think of Paul saying, may we sin that grace may abound. And what does he say? In the strongest way possible, may it never be. The gospel is free and it will cost you everything. The gospel is free and it will cost us everything. We are not encouraging uh, indulgence of the flesh. We are not encouraging an antinomian response uh, to the gospel. Uh, and this is not the case, and certainly it is not what the scriptures teach. First Peter 1, 14-16, listen to what Peter writes. He says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. Again, Peter writes, in 1 Peter 2.16, Act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. You're free from sin. You've been set free. Now don't use that freedom as a, as a covering for evil. Don't use it saying, Oh, I can do what I want now because Jesus saved me. And we hear that kind of thing in the Lord's church today. And then Paul finally says in Romans 6.15, What then shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Again, what does he say? May it never be. Is the Lord concerned with holiness among his people? Absolutely, he is. He is not promoting a cheap grace. He is not promoting an easy believism. Rather, he is instructing the church in the true way, the true way of holiness, of humility, and of ultimate happiness, which is to have peace and be at peace with God. That's what Paul is promoting here. The problem, again, as we have said numerous times, is with those uh, false teachers whose error was that holiness and sanctification, that salvation itself is a synergistic work, a, a working together, me and God, me and Jesus, we're going to get this task done. Salvation and holiness are accomplished by a Christ who's not quite sufficient and sacrifice and rigorous living on my part. And between the two of us, we will get salvation done. And if you want to push that, you want to push it, and you want to push people on this, I think fundamentally this is where many people fall. They do. They fall into this trap of thinking, yes, Jesus is good, but not quite good enough. To which I would always encourage you to look back at the thief on the cross who died on that day, that very hour, and he never came off that cross, that man was redeemed. No doubt about it. And yet he never went to a soup kitchen. He never came off the cross and was baptized. I don't know if that he was even circumcised. I don't know anything else about him. We know nothing about this man other than at the 11th hour and the 59th minute he said, Lord, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. And he says what to him? Today you'll be with me in paradise. That's how free the gospel is. 
That's how free it is. And so these false teachers were placing burdens on the backs of these people, and Paul says of them, uh, of these burdens to which they were allowing themselves to come under, he says they are of no value against fleshly indulgence. So you must not allow men and women to foist upon you ungodly, unbiblical decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. If submitting now to these unbiblical decrees of men, as Paul says, are of no value, that is, they deserve no credit against fleshly indulgence, what, what does, what is there that helps me against fleshly indulgence? What is the thing of value? What can or what does help us in our struggles against the flesh and fleshly indulgence? Do you struggle with sin? It's probably the first time I've never heard anyone say yes. I know you do. Come on now, do you struggle with sin? Give it up. You know <laughs> you know you struggle with sin. I struggle with sin as well. Oh, the thoughts that race through my mind, the desires, the unjust, the unholy, the ungodly desires that well up within me. Of course I struggle with sin. Of course you struggle with sin. What do you do? How do you combat that indulgence, that fleshly desire? My friends, there is a fundamental difference between the Christian and the world. The difference is so much greater than our clothing, our hair, and our diets. Remember that in the 70s? Christians don't have long hair. And then the homosexual community decided to cut their hair, and it's like, huh, now what are we going to do to distinguish ourselves from the unregenerate people? And we fall into these surfacey, shallow things by which we say, I wear a Jesus shirt. That's how I'm going to let my faith be known to the world. Please. Um, I've got the Jesus fish on the back of my car. That's how the world knows to hate Christians because of how we drive. Right? And, and we, we, we do these surfacey, shallow things by which we're saying, I'm different in this way and I'm different in that way. But friends, it has nothing, has nothing to do with that. The difference is found in your standing with God. It's a very basic, very basic uh, premise here. The world is separated. The world, apart from Christ, is alienated from God because of its sin. The world is in rebellion against God. It hates God. And we know this because they refuse to acknowledge Jesus Christ. Don't mistake now, when you watch these Golden Globe Awards, you watch these music awards, and they stand up and they hold that golden figure and say, I want to thank God. Don't think that that's a profession of faith. Don't think that. Oh, the world loves God, that idea of God. That's politically correct. Notice, no one's falling on their knees in front of Jesus Christ. If you know the Son, you know the Father. If you reject the Father, you've rejected the Son. Right? So there's a difference here. They won't acknowledge Jesus Christ. The world is under the wrath of God, we are told. It stands condemned, and it knows no peace with God because they refuse to bow the knee to Jesus Christ. They are hardened in their pride and self-righteousness, they are continually justifying their sin, making up reasons and excuses as to why they may be confident of making it to heaven. And what does it usually consist of? Well, I'm better than so-and-so. 
I try, I'm sincere, and on and on. This is what the world says. And they might actually make for great neighbors, but that doesn't make them right with God. That's the world. They are separated from God. However, this is not the Christian, and this is not you, I hope. The Christian is no longer separated from God. Your sin has been uh, paid for. You have been brought near to God because of Christ Jesus. Because of Christ Jesus, you are no longer under the wrath of God. You are no longer to be considered a child of disobedience. You are no longer uh, under the, the, the sentence of condemnation. But now you have peace with God. And again, you have peace with God because Jesus Christ died in your stead. What you could not do for yourself, Jesus Christ did for you. Do you see the difference then between the world and their standing and the Christian and his standing? The difference is, who is Jesus Christ and and what has he done for us? It's such a fundamental difference. Your salvation is a gift of God's grace. It is all of Christ only of his righteousness being credited or imputed to us at the moment that we believed in him. Our confession of faith states this, Faith, thus receiving and resting on Christ and his righteousness, is the alone instrument of justification, yet is it not alone in the person justified, but is ever accompanied with all other saving graces, and is no dead faith, but works by love. My friends, the key to holiness And the value against fleshly indulgence is Jesus Christ. It might seem like a very subtle point. But notice what Paul says. Uh, He says, these are matters, in verse 23 of chapter 2, these are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. That's the religion of the world. Self-abasement, harsh treatment of the body, my good deeds outweighing my bad deeds, I'm better than, and we get into all these things. He goes in verse 1, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Christ alone is the Christian's hope of salvation and of holiness. That's it. This is what, how do you want to fight? You want to fight your flesh? You want to fight sin? How do you do it? You look to Jesus Christ. Now we're going to unpack this, but you look to Jesus Christ and you look to Jesus Christ alone. You won't hear this in most counseling. Here's 10 easy steps to conquering sin in your life. Do these things and see me in two weeks and don't forget your checkbook. And this is this has infiltrated the church, and this has infiltrated many Christians and friends. Holiness, growing in holiness, and growing in the Christian faith, is is it's no more complicated and than 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 looking to Jesus Christ. Again, what does he tell them? Keep seeking the things above. What is the hope of conquering your flesh? It's looking to Jesus Christ. Again, he says, therefore, what he now says is based upon what has come before. And again, what immediately precedes is Paul saying, why, as if you were living in the world, 
Do you now submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which, at the end of 23, he says, are of no value against fleshly indulgence. Paul reminded them that they, the Christian, had died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world. Notice in verse 1, he says to them now, if you have been raised up with Christ. As noted last week, friends, the believer, that is you, have been united to Christ by faith. You have been united to him in his life, death, and his resurrection. But you say to me, I haven't died, nor have I been raised up, Pastor. And my answer to you is, oh, yes, you have. Are you a Christian? And you see, this is, these are not things you necessarily feel. These are things that are absolutely true, however, as the scriptures teach them. Listen again, our larger catechism, question 66, gives this answer. The union which the elect have with Christ is the work of God's grace. And listen to this, whereby they are spiritually and mystically, yet really and inseparably, joined to Christ as their head and husband, which is done in their effectual calling. We most certainly, Christian, when we came to faith in Jesus Christ, we were united and as they say spiritually we were united mystically we are united what is this mystical stuff okay let me explain it this way my wife sits in the back you know what's happened the longer we've been married we have entire conversations without ever opening our mouths we think alike there's a union between us that that you can't explain there's, there's a, a melding of the hearts and of the minds, of the wills. And, and, and when something grieves her, I can see something, and I know immediately she is grieved by what she just saw. She is saddened by that. And vice versa, she says, Ooh, I don't know if your father's going to like that, because she knows um, her husband's not going to like that. <laughs> there's a union there that every married person in this place understands. There's a mystical union that happens. You're two separate entities, and yet you're mystically joined. We are mystically, in faith, joined to Jesus Christ. And they say, really and inseparably joined to Christ as their head and husband. If you would turn over to, to Romans chapter 6. Now you see, what, what we're doing here, I'm informing your brains to the truth of the scriptures. This is what we're doing. Are these things true that I've just read from our Westminster Standards, the larger catechism, and the confession of faith? Are they true? And the answer is absolutely. Listen to what Paul writes in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. 
Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. He had said earlier in chapter 2, verse 12, you were buried with him in baptism. That is, we were buried with Christ in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Baptism, the baptism with water that we we apply, is not the thing that saves us. As Peter would say, baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have been united to Jesus Christ in both his death and in his resurrection. The water being a sign, like a wedding ring, is a sign that I belong to somebody else. But the reality is, Christian, you have died with Jesus Christ and you have been raised up with Jesus Christ. He did this for you. He lived a life of righteous perfection. He died a brutal death at the hands of godless men, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, um, which ended the wrath of of the Father against his people, and he was raised, says Paul in Romans 4, for our justification. So you see, what he did was done for us. He died, and in him you died as well. He was raised, and in him we were raised. Why would you then consider going back to the old ways, the ways of this world, of empty efforts, superstitions, traditions of men, and decrees having no biblical foundation, Rather, he says, they should keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. In other words, do you want to conquer that sin in your flesh? Then don't don't continue to look to the earth, to the world, or to the ways of men. We look to Jesus Christ. We keep seeking the things above. Here he's giving a command. How do you fight the flesh? Okay, here's a command for you. Keep seeking the things above. Keep seeking the things above. Now I know you're, you're probably sitting there going, that's not terribly practical. That's very ethereal, the thing that you're saying now. Can't you give me something uh, good and solid that I can sink my hands on and that I can really mortify the flesh? If I just did these things, I would no longer struggle against sin. This command that he gives is, is an ongoing effort on the part of the Christian. He doesn't seek once, but rather he keeps seeking, um, seeking after or striving after what is above. It is not the seeking here which is the emphasis, but rather the object that is being sought. Let me say that again because it sounds a little wonky. It's not the seeking which Paul here is emphasizing. Rather, it is the object being sought. As I was preparing this, I had an illustration that kept coming to my mind. This didn't happen to me, and I praise the Lord for that. It happened to our brother John Harris. John, you shared years ago about, uh, as a college student, you went to Kauai, and you were out lobstering at the nighttime. And um, if you've ever been to Hawaii, Kauai's one of the very last islands. There's another one that people are forbidden to go to, but it's it's out there. It's rather far. It's kind of small. Um, 
But the next ma major landmass uh, from Kauai is, I think, Japan. <laughs> and John went out at night lobstering in his snorkeling gears to grab some lobster. And I don't know if the sun had completely set when you stopped, but it had. And so he's out there catching lobster. And, and as this happens, you're out there, you're looking at things underwater, and it's absolutely beautiful. And the currents of the ocean begin to move you away. You've had this experience. You go to the beach, and you're swimming around. You look up, and your beach towel is like a half a mile away. And you go, how did I get down here? It's the currents move you. And so John's out snorkeling. He says he looks up. I don't know how much time it passed. And he said, I'm getting moved out to the ocean, further and further away from Kauai. To me, this is a nightmare. Every time you share this story with me, John, I want to hyperventilate because it scares me to death. He's out snorkeling. It's nighttime. He's in the Pacific Ocean, right off Kauai, which are some of the largest white, um, great white sharks are out in that area. And you look like a tasty hors, hors, hors d'oeuvre. Um, he says, here I am, moved so far off the beach of the Kauai where I was, and all I can see is one tiny little light on the beach. And he says, I better start swimming. And he swims, and he swims, and he swims to get back to that light. The currents are moving against him. He swims and swims, and he finally makes it there, and he falls on the beach exhausted. Now take that idea, and again, all analogies break down at some point, but he sees the light, and that light is his hope. That light is the place he, he shoots for, and it's at that light where he's going to find rest. Meanwhile, he continues to swim. And in a strange way, this is a picture of what the Lord calls us to do to keep seeking the things above we keep seeking Christ who is seated at the right hand of the Father we keep seeking though we struggle you keep seeking where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father the Christian's mistake in trying to conquer the flesh and its indulgence is to look to and rely upon methods and mindsets uh, things like willpower and don't think about it or don't touch it or taste it or handle it distract yourself from it give yourself an alternate um, thing exchange one idol or bad habit for another and then you can conquer this and this is the best we have you, you see he says keep th seeking the things above what does it mean it doesn't seem as I said very practical or, or useful perhaps in our struggles First, I think we need to quit thinking that our sinful flesh is weak and that it's easily controlled. That's a mistake we make as Christians. Oh, I can master this thing. You are daily confronted by a struggle against your flesh. And secondly, quit looking for an easy fix. Quit looking for a pill. Well, I'm going to memorize this verse, and that's going to, that's going to deliver me from this problem. Paul writes in Hebrews 12, You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. Have any of you come to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin? That tells us something about the difficulty, the battle that ensues when I strive to not obey the lusts of my flesh. How do you fight it? Well, we hear people say, quote, a verse and temptations flee away. 
or mention the name of Jesus, and then all will be good. And, and you might be thinking of Matthew 4, where Jesus quotes scripture, and he rebukes, uh, rebuffs Satan and his temptations with scripture. But I want to say that Jesus didn't use words like magical incantations. And I think that's the problem we get into in our day, this name it and claim it, this prosperity stuff. Oh, I just speak the word of Jesus, and it goes away. There's power in the blood, power in the name. And we use it like as a magical incantation meant to fight these things off. Is this what the Lord Jesus did? I'd be hard-pressed to say he, that's what he was doing. Rather, he's standing on the truth of Scripture. He is remembering what the Lord has said, what the Lord wants. Paul here is encouraging and urging the saints to put forward a persevering effort, not for ethereal things, concepts or abstract deep things, but those things where Christ is, those things which are of interest to him that are pleasing to him. Christ is alive, he is reigning supreme, now sitting at the right hand of God, clothed with majesty and honor, and I believe this is what is meant um, that he now sits at the right hand of God. It is the place of honor and preeminence. Now think about this. When you fight temptation, we are told in Psalm 110.1, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Our risen Savior, who now is reigning supremely, in whom we, have, um, in whom we too have been raised, our concerns and our interests are to be his concerns and interests, or vice versa. The things that concern him are the things that should concern us, and not those of this world, of our flesh, or of the devil. What does this look like? I want to give you um, something to think about here. Remember this, friends. In Christ, we have been raised with him. We are now regenerate. We have the life of the Spirit of God indwelling us our minds our wills have been affected so when i'm tempted in my flesh when i am tempted by my flesh by the world or by the devil and i really want to look at her with lust if i want to share this juicy tidbit about this other person if i want my pound of flesh and i want to seek revenge against somebody what do i do oh pastor trust your heart <laughs> I say these things to, to goad you a little bit we live in such as Disney culture trust your heart we hear this all the time do you know how foolish that is don't trust your heart this is what the proverb says he who trusts in his own heart is a fool but he who walks wisely will be delivered don't trust your heart and I'm asking you you, you, you persevere in these things what things like like a swimmer out at ocean looking at a white light on a beach, you look to Jesus Christ. Your thoughts are elevated to where Christ is. What goes through your mind when you're confronted and tempted by sin? Do you give yourself over to worldly justifications and earthly methods? What we ought to do is begin to think and to pray as follow. Lord, I know you died to set me free from sin. You conquered the grave for me that I might be set free from sin so that I would not go back to sin. You have made me free so that I would not use my freedom as a covering for my sin. 
You are my sovereign king. Help me, Lord, not to indulge my flesh, but to pursue those things that please you. Give me eyes that don't look lustfully at an image bearer. Help me not to speak words that cut down, but rather that build. Help me to bless those who have cursed me. Help me to forgive those who have injured me. My friends, I don't trust my heart. I trust what the word of God says. John's out in the ocean. He's swimming around. Gee, my heart tells me to go into the utter darkness and maybe I'll bump into Japan eventually. He goes, there's a light on the shore. I'm going to swim to where I know there's light. I'm going to swim to where I know I can rest. In the same way, when we are confronting temptation, we swim towards the light. We keep seeking the light because we know in the light there is rest. And so we come as Christians with minds filled with the truth of Scripture and we continue to lift our minds to the Lord. I'm a young man. I'm in seminary. I'm in a class of of men, 30 of us, ragamuffins, and we have one of the best professors of all time. And he, he's, he's talking to a bunch of young men who speak and who, who are struggling with the lusts of the flesh. Southern California. You'd think maybe people would think about wearing clothes, but not so much. And women showing themselves and seminary students who have cricks in their neck because they're going like this the whole time. This professor said something that was life-changing for me. On, on many levels. He says, fellas, when you see a pretty young lady, you know it's sinful to lust after her. That violates the Lord's commands. What do you do? He says, I want you to, every time you see a pretty young lady, and I'm hoping this will be a blessing for you, um, he says, I want you to pray for her. I want you to remember that's somebody's mother, that's somebody's daughter, that's somebody's sister. And he says, and then I want you to pray that the Lord would protect her from you. And then I want you to pray for her, that she would come to know the Lord. And do you know, if that wasn't the most brilliant thing I had ever heard, there have been times I've had enemies where I'm out cutting the grass and I'm thinking about, I'd really like to punch that guy in the nose. And I'm just fantasizing about punching someone in the nose. And the Lord convicts me, that's not my child. That's not what my child should do. And I started to pray for the guy I wanted to punch in the nose. I start with, Lord, forgive me for my sin. I know that my sin against you is so much worse. You see, I'm starting to talk to myself in terms of Scripture. What does the Bible say about Jesus Christ? What does the Bible say about who he is? What does the Bible say about what he wants? I don't just slap a Bible verse and say, name it and claim it. I don't do that. I start to seek the things that are above. I start looking at the truth of Scripture. And you know what happened eventually with this enemy that I wanted to punch so vehemently in the nose? After about five years, I'm not kidding, sin dies hard. And you're much worse than you think you are. I began to feel compassion for the man as I sought not his destruction, but I sought his blessing. Lord, bless this man. Turn him from his pride. Deliver him. And forgive me. And help me not to imitate that which is evil, but to imitate what is good. 
I start going over and I start seeking the things that are above, the things that are in Christ. And do you know what happens in all of those things? You find that those things begin fading and their strength upon you fades away and you begin looking to the Lord and you the, 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 the life you have in Jesus Christ becomes a life now that you begin to experience in a whole new way because as a new creature in Christ, you are not bound to the old flesh anymore. But it's a very real battle. The apostle knows this, but the gimmicks of the world, they're not going to set you free. What sets you free is Jesus Christ and continuing to seek him and go back to him. And he sets us free from the sin which so easily entangles us. It's not a simplistic thing. But I'm recalling um, these things that I am raised up with Christ. I have this new life. I don't have to go back to sin any longer. I remember that I belong to Christ and that he is a king and he wants me to do certain things and he doesn't want me to do other things. You see, and you start talking to yourself about these things and you go, oh, oh, there's not this simplistic worldly fix. There's a true fix that comes as we are sanctified and washed in the word of God and seek the things above. That's what the Lord calls us to. I want to close with just these two verses from Hebrews chapter 12. Listen. Listen to what he says. Uh, Again, Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Listen. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The writer of Hebrews is saying the same thing that Paul is saying in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. We seek Jesus. That's how we fight the flesh. We don't look to the earth. We don't look to men. We don't look to traditions, to gimmicks. We look to Jesus. What he did for us on Calvary's cross and how he wants us to think. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word and pray that you would help your people and help me as we continue to struggle against our flesh. We pray, Lord, that we would not think that Christ is somehow insufficient, that we would not be pulled over to giving ourselves to gimmicks and the ways of men, but that we would focus upon Jesus Christ knowing him and who we are in him and all that he has done, that this sin might lose its uh, control over us more and more and that it would fade away and that what is replaced is that which is righteous and, and, and holy. We ask, Father, that we would not grow discouraged with the Lord Jesus and that we would not grow discouraged in our struggle against sin for we recognize, Father, that it is much worse than we ever thought and yet you are much greater than we can imagine. Encourage our hearts and strengthen us, we pray, and help us to run this race uh, with perseverance. We give all thanks to you now, Lord Jesus, for your faithfulness to us. Encourage and strengthen the hearts in this place today of all of us who struggle and want to be pleasing to you. Um, We ask this now in your name. Amen.